Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Why don't you stand with me, hold your Bibles up. I want to welcome all of you watching online, and uh, today is a perfect day. It's the day the Lord's made. We'll be glad and rejoice in it. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess. My mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, 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 in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, this month we are doing this uh, series entitled Behind uh, the Music, and uh, there are so many stories behind all of the songs that we do, and this song is particularly uh, a favorite of mine, Uh, the original a song uh, written by Ed Sheeran and I, I believe his brother, and uh, it's a little more romantic. But when I heard the Christian version, I just thought we have to do that one, and it is so so very powerful. Uh, the irony behind it for me is when I first heard it, I had uh, just um, I had just met my wife. Uh, Susan and uh, as many of you know we, we grew up together and uh, and it says in, in the lyrics it says I will not let you go this time because we dated 40 years ago and uh, so when I first heard this song I played it over and over and over and over again and still do and uh, she is in Dallas today with her oldest son, he's at kicking camp, uh, pro kicking camp at University of Texas Arlington. She's watching online. Love you, honey. And uh, so anyway, that song had a lot of meaning for me because it said, I will not let you go this time because 40 years ago we did. We separated, left each other, and, and now we're married. So I'm happy. you got a happy pastor, all right? And uh, life is grand. And today's Father's Day, as we've already made known and it's one of those days that really I think is is an odd day it's an awkward day and women I'm just going to go here on this one uh you know your your gender is you're female we're male that that is what it is I I know that there will probably be a law someday that uh disallows us even saying that uh making that difference but there is a difference and when when I think about men I think we have a heavenly father and then we have, we are fathers ourselves. And uh, I will say probably being a parent or being a father is the most difficult task that I've ever encountered. And I think mothers would say being a mother is the most difficult. And I would agree that both are extremely difficult. The challenge is for men, I think that sometimes, especially men who get born again, we begin measuring uh, our experience as a father against our heavenly father and we all know that we cannot touch who he is we cannot compare with him and so there's this incredible challenge in our minds of trying to be like him and the bible says 
that we're to be perfect as he is perfect. Well, I've yet to meet anyone that has lived out that verse. None of us are perfect. And the great challenge is, is how much time do we spend at work? How much time do we spend providing for our families? And I know that in this day and age, this doesn't apply as well as it once applied when uh, women were staying home primarily to rear the children and, and, and work just as hard as men, maybe even harder, uh, taking care of children and, and knowing what to do when they get sick and how to care for them and, and providing all this, the emotional needs that they had. And all of those things were challenging. But for some reason, our society shifted to make motherhood seem like less than and it never should have gone that way. And I'm all for equal pay. And I'm all for all of that. But the reality is we are different uh, in, in so many different ways that we don't talk about anymore. And dads, I know that, that, that oftentimes we feel like failures. We've not provided well. We've not protected well. We've, we've not done what we feel like is a good job providing emotional and mental support. And you know, the, the way that we've often communicated love, if you're a baby boomer, is, bless God, I provide and I protect. And, you know, that's not a bad thing, but it's certainly not the only thing. We are called as men to provide mental, emotional support, spiritual guidance, just like a mother. Uh, it, that's not to be left to them, and yet we find it so difficult because still there are uh, working moms who work from their residence in many different ways, often working a job from home and working while they're at home and with kids and so many different struggles in our lives to shine the light uh, before our children to try to teach them and train them in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they'll not depart from it. That's our primary goal, and yet it's very, very difficult. And I have a, I have a challenge uh, for for two different groups of men today, young men and old men. And you know what? You're one or the other. Don't even act like you're in the middle somewhere. You're either young or you're freaking old. Okay, there, there is no in-between. Like you think at 35 to 45, you're like somewhere in this beautiful zone. No, you're, you're young or you're old. And, and some of that's determined by what's between your ears. <clears throat> yeah, because some of y'all are 35 going on 80. And then there are people that are 70 going on 26, you know. I mean, it's just somehow right up here. But I want to challenge us because uh, somehow in the process of attempting to mature, uh, we, we're trying to figure this out. Every young boy typically, or let me just put it this way, the majority of boys watch their earthly dad and they, to a large degree, try to emulate him. Uh, they, they'll walk like him. They'll talk like him, which is why mothers are always rebuking fathers. <laughs> and so they, their, their goal, really, and I can say this as this is a little easier for me today than doing a Mother's Day message because I am a man. And I know as a child what I went through. And all I wanted was my dad's approval. Any of you ever been there? Can I have a show of hands, man, honestly? If, if, did you ever feel that in your life? I wanted my dad's approval. 
Okay, I was one of those who wanted my dad's approval. And so I spent a lot of my young years trying to figure out what it would take for me to get my father's approval. My dad was a very hardworking man. He's been in heaven now for nearly four years and uh, was just diligent. Worked 18, 16, 18 hours a day, literally most of my young life. Rarely saw him. And so I got this thing in my head that if my dad valued work so much, then maybe if I worked hard, I could get his attention. What I didn't know when I was young, and sometimes what we don't know about our parents is what's gone unsaid because they don't think we understand at an early age, and we wouldn't understand more than likely if they did try to explain to us. <clears throat> but I remember that I rarely saw my father, and until I was probably about 13 or 14, I would see him in passing in, uh, on a vacation once a year. and. And often on a Sunday afternoon, maybe when he wasn't working, that I would see him. And so I spent most of my life trying to figure out how to get my dad's attention and then get my dad's approval. So I remember uh, at an early age that I, if I would work to mow yards, I, I could maybe get my dad's attention. So I started pushing a lawnmower in the neighborhood before there were lawn services and, uh, you know, getting a very small fee, and that was only because my neighbor felt sorry for me. It wasn't that they were lazy and didn't want to mow their yard. <clears throat> they just knew I needed money, and they would let me mow it. <clears throat> and I thought, well, that would get my dad's attention. And uh, <clears throat> then I realized he wasn't there and uh, he, to see it. And so as I got older, at 16 years old, uh, the first thing that was required of me, my dad looked at me and said, now, uh, if you want a car... You need to get a job. And I said, well, to get to the job, I need a car. <laughs> and he said, well, I'll tell you what, because he had a company vehicle, <clears throat> he uh, would let me drive his ugly pickup, which I think probably would be cool today. It'd be retro, they would call it, looking for a piece of junk. Anyway, so <clears throat> I got a job, started driving my dad's pickup back and forth to work until I got enough money to buy my own. And then I got a really good job at a grocery store, and, and uh, at a grocery store, you could work as many hours after school almost as you wanted because somebody was always calling in sick or not coming in. And I remember my dad would be home right after school. He would go to work, get home about 3, and then he would go work the night shift at Oklahoma Natural Gas Company. And so I would see my dad sometimes when I'd come home from school if I got home in time. And I always hated it because we didn't have cell phones. Yet a landline. That meant if you answered the phone, everybody in the stinking house was going to hear your conversation. So you couldn't even have a romantic girlfriend. Because <laughs> everybody could hear you. And so the phone would ring. My dad would answer it. And it would be, be a guy by the name of John Fuller. I'll never forget John. He was as round as he was tall. And he was the manager at 11th and Denver Safeway. And... Uh, John would call and say, uh, you know, is Mark there? My dad knew who it was because he would call regularly. And he would be wanting me to come to work that evening and fill in for somebody. Well, I'd, I'd stand there on the phone, and I knew if I turned him down that my dad was going to be on me. Son, you need to go to work. You need to make money. And so when that call would come, most of the time I would go, not because I wanted to, but because I knew that my dad wanted me to. 
And so I spent most of my young life and early years trying to live my life not to satisfy my heavenly father, but to gain the approval of my earthly father. Was he a bad guy? Absolutely not. Was he a tyrant? No. He just grew up extremely poor, and he didn't want me to be poor. He wanted me to learn how to work. He wanted me to learn the value of, of work and money. And, and so I, I lived that most of the time. And then... I got out of school, got a really good job again, and I, everything was great. I could see the glimmer in my dad's eye. He was home more now. He wasn't working 16 hours a day, so I would get to see him some uh, after school and, and see him some on weekends more than I did, and, and I could just see the pleasure uh, that in his eyes that I had this good job, and more than anything now, he didn't have to pay for squat. <laughs> and so... Uh, and then my heavenly father told me to do something that my earthly father wasn't happy with. I, what I found out was my earthly father and heavenly father were not always in agreement. And that always makes life difficult because if you're looking for the approval of your earthly father and your heavenly father tells you to do something and you go to your earthly father because I was now born again. Now, Fast forwarding to after 21 years old, and I'm 24, and I'm working, and I've got this great job, and I moved out, and, and, and all of a sudden I come to my dad and mom, and I said, you know, look, I may need your help. They did not jump up and down and go, we just are so glad to hear that. And I sat at the kitchen table with my father, and I looked at him, and I said, Dad, God has called me to preach his word and I feel like he's calling me to go back to college to learn more about how to do that my dad looked at me and it, it had to tear him apart he looked and he said son I am not going to help you you are on your own he was not happy I was walking away from the job of his dreams not the job of my dreams I was doing well and I ended up quitting my job. I had this beautiful Corvette. God, I, I, and so I had to sell it to pay for my first semester of college. And, and so I began to make sacrifices to do that. And uh, sold it quickly, paid for my first semester of college, and I was off and running. And during the period of time that I was in college, I would uh, work hard. I would get up at 3 in the morning, and I would go to UPS and unload trucks that were bringing boxes to your house. And if any of you had deliveries that were broken, it was probably because you tried getting up at 4 in the morning and get excited about fragile. <laughs> I didn't give a flip if it was fragile or if it was a cinder block. I was throwing it off the truck. And so I did that. I would leave there, go home, shower, go to college all day. And I was working nonstop, just like my daddy did. And one day I collapsed in my bathroom on the floor. It felt like somebody had stabbed me in the heart, thought I was having a heart attack, 28 years old. Rushed to the emergency room. They did the scans on my heart, and they said, we don't know what you're doing but whatever you're doing, you're going to have to change. They said, you have a valve in your heart. 
that is opening when it's not supposed to be opening. As a result, blood is rushing in, and it's like pouring water on a filling. They said it's exactly what's happening, and all we can tell you is you better change it. So I, I left the hospital. I went over to Old Roberts University across the street from City of Faith, and I walked into my professor's office. I was undergrad theology and psychology, and I had a counseling class, and I must have looked really bad because I knocked on the door. Fortunately, her office was next to the classroom, and she could see something in me I didn't see in me. She said, step in my office. And when I stepped in her office and she asked me one question, I broke down. I began to cry. I cried for the next two hours. She's asking me questions nobody had ever asked me before. And she said, why are you doing what you're doing? And out of my mouth came some words similar to this. Well, I'm married. I, I need to make a living. I need to provide for my family. I, and I'm going. And, and she said, why? Because it's what my dad has done. That's what he did. She looked at me and said, you're going to have to change something. So two different people. And, and I realized that day that I was living my life to make my daddy happy. That I was living my life and I was willing to die for it. God never called you to die to make somebody else happy. He called, called you to live because his son died. And some of you have lived your whole life to try to gain the approval of your dad, and you still are. I was 28 years old when I was awakened to the reality that I was trying to make my dad happy, and in doing so, I was miserable. Some of you are caught in that web of that relationship in a lot of different directions. And here's what I would say to you today. It's not your daddy's fault wasn't my daddy's fault and some of you grow up bitter because you became the man he was not because he required it of you but because you thought that was what was required of you my dad never made me I chose to did he want me to yes but it was my choice and so I want to encourage those of you right now who are living to make daddy happy to go home make a phone call to your daddy and tell him how much you love him I began going to my father after that, and I put my arms around him. I'd hug him, and I'd say, Dad, I love you. Freaked him out. I grew up in, on John Wayne Boulevard, right down the street from Clint Eastwood Avenue, just across the way from the Rocky Freeway. We did not hug. We did not say, I love you. We did none of those things. Why? Because we're men. And let me tell you all something. That's what's killing our nation today is the insensitivity of men. We refuse to cry. We refuse to use words like hurt. We use the words angry. I'm mad. Uh, and, um, I, we, we we got to change this. We have got to drop our guard. And I began changing my life by going to my daddy. And every time I saw him, I would cry in my uh, out of the corner of my eye. It was so hard for me to tell him, Daddy, I love you, because men did not do that. And let me just tell you, that's the biggest lie of the devil, because we need to be telling our Heavenly Father how much we love him, and quit waiting on your daddy to tell you, tell you he loves you. You start telling your daddy you love him. I, I did that until the day my daddy went to heaven. October 9th, 2014, I was by his bedside on my knees crying my eyes out saying, Daddy, everything's going to be all right. I love you. 
until the day he died. I have zero regrets. A lot of people say, I wish I would have done this. I'm glad I did what I did. Because when my daddy went to heaven, I was able to rejoice and say, I am glad. I'll see you someday, Father. And then if you're a dad that's been jacked up from the neck up, never told your kid you love him, get off your booty. You thought you were getting out scot-free today. But I'm getting ready to get on you right now. You need to go home. You need to call your son and say, son, I think I did it wrong. Yeah, not a lot of hallelujahs. Anybody online with me? Because they're dead in this place. They're looking at their watch and they're looking around. Is it over yet? Man, it's time to grow up and quit acting like you got to be all tough as bootstrap and leather. It's time for you to rise up and grab your children around the neck and say, I love you. spend too much energy trying to avoid the inevitable, the call of God, the destiny of God, and it's not too late to be a daddy. It is not too late to be a daddy. You know, I grew up hearing these words, children are meant to be seen and not heard. And the reason fathers and mothers didn't want to hear their kids because they might say something that would convict them. Raise your children so that you'll want to hear them. And today, you still hear that in your ears, that you can't speak to your mom and daddy, and that daddies, you can't speak to your children, and they'll take advantage of it. They might take advantage of it. They might test your love, and that's okay. But it's time for us as fathers, it's time for us as sons, to stop seeing who can be the toughest the longest. The reason our society is in the mess it's in today is Jesse could probably speak to this better than I could, but many men who are incarcerated today ended up in prison because they were trying to get their daddy's attention to do something special. They never intended to rob a bank or kill anybody. They just screaming out, Will somebody pay attention to me? Will somebody care enough to correct me? Will somebody care enough to direct me? We live in a society, dear God, where you can't even spank a boy anymore. And let me tell you something. A boy needs spanked a couple times a day whether he does anything wrong or not. I know I'm going to be hated on for that, but the Bible says spare the rod, hate the child. I can't change the Bible. I can't change what our Heavenly Father said. I know there's abuse. I know it's out there. But when you start correcting somebody, a wise man will receive correction. We quit correcting people because it's politically incorrect. That's why they're all going to hell in a handbag. I know some of you are going, we got to get out of here. I don't even think I'm going old school. I think I'm going old, old school. Listen to me. If you rebuke a wise man, it's different than rebuking a fool. Amen. Train a child up in the way that they should go. We quit training. We let kids do whatever they want nowadays. They make the rules. I don't believe anybody ought to be abused. I don't believe anybody ought to intentionally be. I, I'm not saying that. I am saying this. I thank God every day. That, that I was raised with discipline. Not perfect, but I was raised with discipline. I still have a conscience, even though every now and then I don't like what it says to me. 
But nowadays we've let it go. All of this begins with love. The Bible says he disciplines those he loves. If you love somebody, tell them the truth. If you love somebody, speak truth. The Bible says speak truth in love. If somebody's being a fool, don't walk away. Say, I love you. You're sure acting foolish right now. I'm not real sure that this is going to benefit you if you keep it up. Matter of fact, I'm thinking a nightclub, uh, not a nightstick, not a nightclub, probably going to be upside your head someday. And, and you know, w would you like a belt on your fanny or a nightstick upside your head? Parenting is difficult. Being a dad is difficult, especially when you have a perfectly heavenly, a perfect heavenly father. Is it too late? No. Second Samuel chapter seven, and I'm going to close pretty quickly. I knew coming in this morning at 9:30, I would have a prophetic word or a prophetic edge or a this word that I've shared with you. It'll be different at 11 if you want to stick around. But, but I felt like God was speaking to me to tell you that story. And some of you watching online to tell you that story. Because I got rid of my approval addiction. A lot of people. You may tell you what approval addiction does. It makes you lie. If you have an approval addiction, it makes you a deceiver. Because you, because you want people to like you so much that before you open your mouth, you figure out what they want you to say and you say it. I know people like that. They lie. Now, we don't call it lying because it's, it's clothed so beautifully in deception. And so you live your life saying what other people want to hear, and you're miserable because you're living with the lie and the deception. Because you need to to protect you. Whenever you get honest and you get truthful, even if someone doesn't like you, you'll feel good about you. And you will always feel good about you. Now, it'll hurt that somebody walked out on you. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, When your days are over, speaking to David, and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. Now, this is a lot of people today that would read the Bible would not understand. This is love communication. I want you to be the best you can be. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Let's think about King David a moment because that's who he's referencing. And then Solomon would be that offspring. I know what you're thinking. And I paused by design. It's called a pregnant pause. 
And the reason I paused is this. We talk about biblical characters with a reverence that we would not talk about them today. Solomon, known to be the wisest man to ever live, was the offspring of David. David was not a good man. He was a great king. And when I say that, theologians right now are turning over, flipping in their graves. David, the father of Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, was both a murderer and an adulterer. Which means David could never preach in our churches today. Because he wasn't perfect. I'm loving this moment. <laughs> Challenge in our world is we have forsaken the most foundational principle in the Bible. Love never fails. Love is the foundation and platform from which all Christianity is lived upon. Now, David, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. But he wasn't a perfect father. Solomon would become the most renowned man of wisdom ever known. And his father, depending on who you ask, would be perceived as a total failure, with one exception. David responded to his failure appropriately. You're going to fail. That's not the end. Your response to your failure is the end of it all. Will you respond with repentance? Or will you respond with arrogance? Not that God will love you less, but it restricts God from doing more. Most of us as fathers feel like we have failed. I do. No, I'm not a failure. I just know there were times I failed. There were moments that I can remember if I could go back and do them again, I'd do them differently, but I can't. So who do I learn from? Probably one of the greatest fathers that I know, King David. Worst and best. Why? Because at his worst, David probably made most of us look pretty good. At his best, he probably makes most of us look pretty bad. When I think about him being a father and the father of the wisest man to ever live, how does that happen? After killing his best friend, one of his best friends... How could that ever happen? Because God doesn't see things the way we do. You have another chance. The problem with most people is they focus on the shame instead of the chance. They wallow in the shame hoping for pity instead of support. If all you want is pity, you will always get pity because of fallen mankind. Dads, if you're standing here today waiting for your wife to feel sorry for you and support you... Instead of saying, you know, honey, I, I did make a lot of mistakes when our kids were growing up, and I apologize to you, and I apologize to our kids. Most of all, God, I repent. It'll change everything, and that's what this is all about, is making a change and having a relationship. When someone points something out to you, how are you going to respond 
Some of you women have been so kind and patient and gracious with us men when we try to be men and we've misfathered our children. But you know, there comes a time when a mama needs to look and say, that's enough. And a man needs to look at her and go, you're right. I apologize. You know what? Correction will make you better or it will make you worse. And it's your choice. I am so thankful for God's correction, his love. He loved me enough to correct me. That's our daddy. And I wouldn't be standing here as happy as I am today without that loving correction. I am a happy man, not because I've had success in the church world or I've had success in the world, but I'm a happy man because God is a God of promise and he does everything he says he will do. He is a good father. So men of all ages, I speak to you today. I encourage you today to become real men. As David was a real man. And he humbled himself. And the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. It is impossible for us to be perfect. But it is imperative that we be repentant. And that we love the way our father has loved us. So older dads, even some of younger dads with small children today, I would encourage you to go to them. So you know why? I've made some mistakes, son, daughter. I just want to ask you to forgive me. I'm going to do the best job I can, being the best daddy I can be. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to slip up sometimes. But I'm not going to quit on you. I am not going to quit on you. Keep loving them. And I promise you they'll keep loving you. Don't demand that your children respect you. Love them and they will. Yes, you'll have to correct them. That's what the Bible says. But they're more attractive to love than they are responsive to criticism and demands. We have a responsibility, men. In a genderless society, I tell you, there's not a woman who is healthy that doesn't want to be treated like a woman. Now I'm just gonna. Now I'm just gonna. I'm. I'm just gonna get in your business. I'm going to go where no man should ever go. <laughs> men, you want to be real men? Let's not just talk about children. When you go to your car today, open the door for your spouse. Open the door for your girlfriend. Open the door for your daughter. Oh, thank you for the amens and hallelujahs. And everybody standing and applauding and going crazy. I'm, no, honey, I'm coming at it. I ain't even close to finish yet. I'm going to mess everything up. You can put it back together. I'm telling you, you start opening the car door for your spouse. And I know some of you think this is silly. But it's the little things that make a big difference. Men, start opening the car door for your wife. I'm going to say it again. 
Every time Susan and I go anywhere, I open the door for her, and I'll do it till the day we die. I'm telling you that that is never going to stop. We have got to stop this foolishness acting like we're too tough to serve a lady. You need to do everything you can, men. This is Father's Day. That's right, it is. But let me tell you something. When your daughter watches you for 10 years open the door for her mother, she'd be looking at men differently. When some guy wants to date her, he goes and gets in. She needs to be standing at that door. And that dumb little kid driving around who shouldn't be even out with your daughter be, what are you doing? My dad opened the door for my mom my whole life. Get your big old sad booty out of that car. Get it around here and open that door for me. If he doesn't do it, say, see ya. Go find yourself a miserable woman who'll put up with your stupidity. That'll preach right there, won't it? That's even got a longer shelf life than a lot of sermons I've preached right there. That'll hang on for a while. That's got some Jesus preservative in it right there. Yep. I'll tell you right now, men, let's be men. Pray with your spouse. Love them. Love your kids. Pray with them. Be a leader. You don't have to be the only leader because mamas, you've got to lead too. But men, be leaders. Step up. Rise up. There's a generation looking to men to see how to live. And we're going to show them. All right? Bow your heads. Close your eyes, please. God, you're our Father. <laughs> what an example you are and how difficult sometimes it seems to even try to emulate parts of who you are and how you behave and what you do and how you've treated us and how you've always believed in us, how you've never walked away from us, how you've never left us. At the same time, how you've continually corrected us, not because you're angry with us, but, but because you want the best for us. You want the best for everyone here, everyone watching. You want the best. But we have to reach out and grab the best. We have to appropriately respond to correction. We have to be willing to change. And God knows we all need to. The Bible says we're going from glory to glory. That means there's a room for change every day. That you began a good work in us won't even bring it to completion until the day you return. May we be a pliable people, a broken people. A people that are willing to be broken to fit into the bigger picture called your mosaic universe. God, today I pray for those who have resisted and, and, and stood against the opportunities they've had to change and become everything you've called them to be. Today I declare men will rise up and stand strong and lay their lives down as the Bible has called us to do. With heads bowed and eyes closed, those of you who have never accepted Christ or followed the Father, today is your day. I'm going to pray a prayer. I want to ask all of you to pray it with me and those of you watching online. 
a prayer of repentance. First, a repentance that will bring you into a relationship with Christ and into eternity with Him. And then some with repentance for how we have responded or not responded to those that we love here on earth. So let's pray this prayer together. Say, Father God, first off, I thank you for being a perfect father. I come to you today repenting of my sin. I need a savior. And I know you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. So today I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior, repenting of my sin. Then, God, I repent for not being the man that you've called me to be, the father you've called me to be, the husband you've called me to be. Help me, God. I want to change. Amen.